0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Today we are continuing the series that we've been in, At His Feet. And today, I hope that we will see that at the feet of Jesus, at His feet, is where we experience the peace-filled life. Now, how would you describe peace in your life, if someone asked you that question, what does peace look like for you? Maybe maybe for some of us here today, peace in our lives is the, the moment or the time when our exams are done and the summer begins. That's what peace is. Maybe some of us here today would define peace to be on a dock with still waters and no mosquitoes. That would be peace. Maybe some of us that are here today would say peace begins or peace is when all of my children are in bed at the end of the day. That is peace. But then maybe some of us would define peace to be deeper. Peace is what carries me through difficulty. Peace is what carries me through trials. Peace is what's there in my life and it's evident when I feel like I don't know what to do. Maybe that's how you would define peace. The Bible would define peace as, I think, two things. One, it's a temporal security in who we are and who God is. And then in light of that, it's an eternal security of what's ahead. Now, having a peace-filled life and believing it will entirely transform the way that we live. As I said, it carries us through difficulty, it helps us in moments when we struggle. And as Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, peace is fruit or evidence in our lives that God is working and that God is helping us become more and more into his image or into the image of Jesus who is the Prince of Peace. I think all of us can describe what peace and its absence feels like or maybe what it looks like. And maybe some of us are here today thinking, I don't know if peace is so important, but here's why peace is important. There may be some of you who have came to church today, and as you walked through those doors, even though in your life you feel as though, as we sang, the sea billows are raging, and there is peacelessness. When you came in here today, you feel as though there is peace, and maybe there's this perception of peace. But you know that the moment you leave today and you walk back out through those doors, that the raging storms continue. And there is an absence of peace in your life. Loved ones, you need to hear this today. All of that goes away at the feet of Jesus. All of that changes at the feet of Jesus. And you know what? If you feel that way today, if we feel that way, we wouldn't be the first ones to feel that way. Jesus' very own disciples felt that way as well. They felt the raging storms and the wind howling. They struggled to live peace-filled lives. There's something maybe peaceful about that, that even Jesus' very own disciples felt that way. Well, today in our story, we are going to learn two characteristics of a peaceless life and two characteristics of a peace-filled life. And so if you would join me by turning to Luke chapter 8, we are going to see in a number of encounters two characteristics of the life we do not want and two characteristics of the life that we do want. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39 is where our story takes place today. Now to help set the stage of our story today, it's helpful to know the story that takes place before our story today. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, it says this, One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. Now, if you know this story, you know that what happens next is Jesus' fear-filled disciples awaken him all of a sudden in a raging storm. The wind began to blow, and the seas began to crash in the Sea of Galilee, and and they are calling out to Jesus, save us. And then Jesus stands, and before the wind and the waves, as Mark records, Jesus says, peace, be still. And instantly the storm ceases. And Jesus' disciples are left looking at this Jesus, saying, Who then is this, in verse 25? Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now you can imagine Jesus' disciples in this moment. Their hearts are beating for the storm that they were in. And maybe even on their foreheads are beads of nervous sweat for what could have been. And now they are filled with peace because there is a gentle breeze that fills their sails. And one by one, they look to Jesus and they recognize his gaze is not on them, but it's on the coming shore. And as they look to the coming shore, they recognize that the steep and deep slopes of the Western Sea of Galilee are restless. Jesus was on a mission. You see, these shores were shores where no Jew dared to venture. It was the region of the Gentiles, the countryside of the Roman legion. And yet Jesus has his eyes set on the shore. And the peace that the disciples were feeling in this moment, they knew the moment they got to that shore, it would instantly dissipate as their heels sunk down into the restless and peaceless saturated sand. And that is the setting of our story today. So in verse 26, would you join me as we read our account, the demon-possessed man. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out onto land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had ceased him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him to command them to depart, not to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and when the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. In our story today, Jesus encounters three different groups of people. I want us to see as how the dialogue is divided on the screen. In the first encounter, Jesus has with a demon-possessed man. But as we understand who he was and see what Luke writes, in all reality, Jesus' dialogue in these verses 26 to 33 is with the demons In the next part of our passage, Jesus' encounter is with the city folk, the herdsmen, the the crowds of people and witnesses in verses 34 through 37. And the final encounter of dialogue in our story is between Jesus and the now healed or freed man. And that's in verses 38 and 39. Now in verse 26, as our story begins, Jesus and his disciples reach the beach of the region of the Gerasenes. And maybe you're a visual learner like me and you wonder what would that have been like to be there and here's a here's a picture maybe to help us know the region the sea of Galilee before us and Jesus and his disciples set out on the north shore from Capernaum it was the home of Jesus earthly ministry they sail in the sea of Galilee where they experienced the storm and then the sea scene of the storm and they're now met with a man on the western side Decapolis was a region of ten cities the man would leave later and go and declare to. But on the western shore were steep banks. This is a dad joke, but these are banks and they're on a steep angle. So, there's, so these are steep ba- And there's not actually banks there, but these are steep banks. Where the pigs were cast out and then run down the edge on the western shore and drown into the lake. And in verse 26, Jesus reaches the shore and it gives us the impression this man is waiting for him. This is the moment that he has been waiting for. Now imagine the scene that had just taken place. This demon-possessed man is on the countryside and, and apparently the human eye can see upwards of 40 kilometers in clear conditions. So the Sea of Galilee being approximately 11 by 15 kilometers, there's absolutely the possibility that this man is looking out over the Sea of Galilee and sees the small boat. Maybe he sees even some figures, Jesus and his disciples, and as he sees the wind pick up and the waves pick up, as he sees the dark clouds roll in with thunder and lightning, you can imagine that this peaceless, possessed man is loving every moment of the natural chaos. But then something happens. Then all of a sudden the wind ceases and the storm goes away and this man is looking out at the boat and he knows that this man on that boat is responsible. And I can imagine this possessed man now as he sees the boat reposition itself and begin to sail towards his shore, the shore where no one sets foot on. He's running and stumbling and tripping in the sand as he's trying to assess where Jesus and his disciples are going to beach in his land. And he meets Jesus as they set their foot on the land. And look what his response is in verse 28. Luke says that he falls down and cries out before at the feet of Jesus, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This man was naked and homeless and restless. He was powerful, dangerous, self-mutilating, lonely. He lived among the tombs. This man was insane. And yet in this moment, he falls down before Jesus because he recognizes who was in his presence. Luke was a physician, and as a physician, Luke would have known the difference between someone who is physically ill and someone who is spiritually ill. And his description of the man in this moment is as if he is saying, this man was incredibly peaceless, and yet he, here he is falling down and begging at the feet of Jesus. His posture was a reflection of who was in his presence. Here's a question for us. What is my reaction or my life posture when I catch a glimpse of Jesus? Now in ancient practice during exorcisms, it was a known tactic that by speaking the name of the demon over them, it would give you a firm grasp of power over them. And so here in this moment, at the feet of Jesus, are the demons crying out and claiming the name of Jesus, perhaps in a final attempt to subdue him. Yet in that moment, notice what it says. They are begging, begging Jesus and at his feet. I love what Thabiti and Yabwile says about this moment. He says that there is not the slightest hint of good versus evil as if evil has any chance. Now if you like marking up your Bibles, do this with me. I encourage this week to do this. Look for the words that Luke is using in this story that are submissive words. Words like beg and permission and seize. Luke is intentional to use these words because he wants to help us see that in this moment, in these encounters, it is only Jesus who brings peace amidst the chaos. It is only Jesus who is able to have the natural and supernatural world submit and fall down before him. Luke says he is the son of the most high God. He accredits Jesus to be God himself. And church, hear this, the most high God bows down to none. And so in verse 30 now, rather than Jesus at the will of the demons, that was never true. The demons confess their name to Jesus as legion. It was an army of them. And notice in verse 31 that even though a single Jesus is stand before, standing before a man possessed with a multitude of demons, it is the demons that are crying out before Jesus, begging and asking permission. They are filled with fear in the presence of God. God. In verses 32 and 33, it shows the fear they had. They are begging Jesus and asking for permission. They are asking that Jesus, Son of the Most High God, would not destroy them and send them into eternal abyss, but would allow them and give them permission to go and possess another herd, a herd of pigs on the countryside. And if you notice in the verse, Jesus gives them permission And we read that the demons now filled themselves in the pigs. This herd of swine run down the steep banks of the western cliffs and drown them in the lake. Now Luke references in our story this herd of pigs was large. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark gives a number to the size of about 2,000 pigs. And Matthew says the herd of pigs was many. Now the pig was an unclean animal to the Jewish people as per their Old Testament law. But some people wonder and say the reason and the sole purpose to a herd of swine this large could have only had one sole purpose. It was a food source for the local Roman army. Now as an economic blow is dealt to the Romans. The Jews look to Jesus and say, that is the Messiah we have waited for. That is the type of Messiah that we have wanted to bring peace amidst the crazy and the chaos of the Roman rule in our region. But I love what one author says. It wasn't so much that as it was Jesus bringing peace to an unclean man With unclean spirits, casting them into unclean animals in an unclean region of unclean vocation. And now we have in our story a different perspective. Now we have an encounter with the Prince of Peace coming to shore to bring peace where there had been no peace. The Prince of Peace now had came to ashore to encounter a man who had never experienced the peace-filled life. And that takes us to our second encounter as we are introduced to the city folk in verses 34 to 37. Look what it says there. Luke says that when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country The people from the city come out to find a man who had been possessed by demons, who they had been unable to subdue, now sitting at the feet of Jesus, and it says he was clothed and in his right mind. Let's just stop there for a moment and just just consider everything that had changed in this man's life. I wonder if he had a family. I wonder if this man had... A wife that he had left alone all these years. I wonder if he had children that had been left without a father. What was his source of income for the family? What was his job? Did this man have friends that had wondered for all this time, will our friend ever return home to us? Because this man was cast out to a part of the land that no one dared to visit. No one could subdue him. And yet, as they come out from the city to witness Jesus and what he had done to this man, they recognized his sanity has returned. He's been completely restored in his life. And yet, look what it says, what the response is. In that moment, they were seized with great fear. Now, here's what's incredible. For all of these years, it was the demoniac who was seized with fear. And yet the city folk now come out and find this man. It is no longer the man possessed by demons seized by fear, but they, as they encounter Jesus and this man, are seized with fear. So that leads us to ask, why are their lives marked with fear? Maybe they were fearful of the man that they now had seen again. We know who this is. Maybe they were filled with fear because of the man who now controls the man that they once knew. Maybe they were filled with fear because of what they heard Jesus had done to the herd of pigs. But I think what they're most concerned about is the fact that what they could not bring peace to has now found peace. However, their fear is It's not a reverence for God and his control and authority over all of creation. The fear that the demon-possessed man and the city folk display for us is not a fear of who Jesus is, but a fear for who Jesus is. What might you do to us? Because a holy fear of God, as the Bible tells us, draws us closer to God as we understand who God is and who we are and how dependent and little we are in his presence. But an unholy and an unhealthy fear leads us to do what the city folk did next. And so look at the response and filled with fear, verse 37, they ask him to leave and depart from them. They wanted distance in their lives from this Jesus. And despite what they knew of Jesus or what they thought they knew of Jesus or what had just happened because of Jesus, they wanted him to leave. They weren't going to find themselves at Jesus' feet, and they weren't going to make Jesus bow down to them. They just wanted Jesus to leave their land. Why? Because, Jesus, we're afraid of you. We're afraid of what you might do to us next. And so we see in these encounters that a peace-filled life is not marked by two characteristics. Number one, the peace-filled life is not marked by fear. In the demon-possessed man, we see how fear had ruled his life. We see fear filled in the demons as they are worried about what Jesus could do and what Jesus would do to them. Their view of Jesus was that he would torment them and so that leads them at his feet to plead Jesus not to destroy them. It's because of their wickedness and their evil that they lacked peace and it had driven this man to insanity. And there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked, Isaiah 57, 21. And then in the encounter of the city folk, we see how people had witnessed the miraculous power of Jesus They seen how Jesus had restored and cleansed and healed this man. Yet their reaction is, I think I know enough of Jesus. And so Jesus, you need to leave us. And they were filled with fear in their circumstances that were taking place around them. Is your life marked by fear? Is there the presence of fear in your life? You see, the thing is, is that fear looks like all different types of things. Taste takes different masks and presents. Maybe some of us have a misunderstanding of who God is, and that leads you to live fearfully before God. Maybe your misunderstanding is that God is only a God of judgment and justice. Maybe some of us are compelled to live a certain way because we are fearful that if we come up short before a holy God, or if we can't do our part, if we can't please God, we are fearful that God will cast us out of his presence because we could not do enough. Some of us in our lives, the fear in our lives looks like a fear of people. We're afraid of those around us, what they think of us. If we're smart enough, if we can do good enough, be nice enough, be attractive enough. Some of us are afraid of getting sick or even death. We fear man. Some of us even fear what could be taken away from us in our lives, like jobs, materials, or maybe even those that we love most. You need to hear today that from God's word it tells you that it is only the perfect love of Jesus that casts out that fear. And so the peace-filled life is not marked by fear. But secondly, the peace-filled life is not marked by distance. When the city folks see and hear what Jesus had done, their desire is that Jesus would distance himself from them. In the first encounter, it resulted in the destruction of the demons and pigs because they asked to be cast away from Jesus' presence. In the second encounter, we see how it had resulted in a complete rejection of the presence of God. And as we will see in the final encounter, the peace-filled life cannot be lived apart from Jesus Christ. Distance from Jesus creates chaos rather than order, and in fact, and ultimately, eternal destruction awaits those who reject the presence of Jesus Christ. Now maybe this is a call for some of us today, Maybe some of us are here today and you think that you can have peace in your life apart from the feet of Jesus. I want you to know that that's fake peace. That peace will go away, it will not stand time. It's like a mirage in the desert that changes and dissipates. Maybe some of us are here today and, and maybe you're a father and you have the perception that you can carry and lead and provide for your family apart then at the feet of Jesus and trusting him and depending on him for everything in your life to lead your family. Maybe there's a woman here today who thinks that they can find their beauty and their self-worth in something other than finding themselves at the feet of Jesus where he calls you Daughter. Maybe someone is here today and your marriage is falling apart. And you are wondering, how have we gotten to the place that we are in today? You are wondering, how far have you gone from the feet of Jesus? Regardless of circumstance, church, when is the last time that we have been in God's word dependent and seeking him for truth in our lives? When is the last time amidst our circumstance we've cried out before this peace-giving God asking him to be with us? And yet we wonder why there is no peace in our lives and why our lives are marked by discontent. It's because we have not stopped to see how far we have drifted from the feet of Jesus. Now maybe we've started at the feet of Jesus when we surrendered our lives to him, but now we look back and and like a floaty on a wavy day at the beach you look at where you had set out and you recognize how far you've drifted and how far you've come If there's distance in your life from Jesus you have missed the mark If there is a sense in your life that I don't need you God you have missed the mark Or maybe there's a sense in your life that Jesus can go do his thing and I will do mine, just like the city folk had said, you have missed the peace-filled life. You cannot have a peace-filled life apart from Jesus. Now maybe some of us are here today, we've never even started at the feet of Jesus. We never surrendered our lives in submission to him, crying out, Lord, I need you. I want you to hear in this moment that that is okay. Okay for this moment because in this encounter with this man in Luke chapter 8 there's a strong and a simple call to you saying you need to get to the feet of Jesus you need to come there believing that that's where everything in life changes it makes all the difference in the world and so to know then how to have a peace-filled life we need to finish our story we need to come to the third encounter of what has changed in this man You see, the beautiful thing about the peace-filled life is that we begin to recognize that it's God himself who gives to us everything that we need, not want everything that we need. And it's the person who finds himself at the feet of Jesus, now peace-filled, recognizing that God's word promises to you that just like the man sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed That God promises to you, you will be clothed with robes of righteousness as you are forgiven in that Jesus of your sins. Let's take a look at Isaiah 61 verse 10. It says, I will rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That's what happens to the life that surrenders themselves at the feet of Jesus. I will clothe you with robes of righteousness. I will make you right. And it's in that moment that God takes the chaos and the havoc and the stench of sin before his presence and he removes it from us. It's in that moment that faith in Jesus allows us to then receive robes of righteousness into our lives. But not only is the man at Jesus' feet clothed, it says that he's also in his right mind in verse 35. He's thinking clearly. And God's word promises to the person who finds himself at the feet of Jesus, surrendered to him, that you will have the transforming power and renewal in your mind to think clearly, to think clearly in circumstance to know what's true and what's not true, what's, what's ahead because of what God has said and promised to you. It's a call in our lives then not to live anxiously anymore, to not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let your request be made known to God. And then this in Philippians 4, 7, the next verse says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God, I need you. God, I want to live a peace-filled life. And then God gives to us what we need. Here is peace to guard and protect your hearts as you go through life and circumstance. This man in the third encounter recognized who Jesus was. He'd experienced what Jesus had done in his life. He had a healthy and an accurate understanding of God. And perhaps you also too can remember and think of all that God has done in you and that's why then finding ourselves at the feet of Jesus allows us to live a peace-filled life and that life is marked first of all is marked by dependence the peace-filled life is marked by dependence now look at what this man says and does in his encounter with Jesus now cleansed in verse 38 it says the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. In the first encounter, the demons are begging Jesus to send them away from him. In the second encounter, they are begging Jesus, the people, to be sent away from their presence. And now we have a man in the third encounter who has been possessed by demons, now cleansed, and peace has been brought into his life, and he is begging that he might remain with Jesus. Now we need to see this. We need to see this because this man was naked and crazy and living in isolation for years. And now the moment Jesus comes one day with the sole purpose of sailing across to the other side of the lake, he has experienced transformation. And yet at the moment that Jesus saves him and brings faith and peace into his life, he doesn't turn and return home. He doesn't wonder if his wife is still waiting for him, if his kids are expecting him to walk in through the door. He doesn't wonder if his boss held his job. He doesn't wonder if his friends are still waiting for him. Maybe he had some of those things waiting for him. Maybe he didn't. But what we need to see is that in this moment, the moment he experiences the peace-filled life, he says, Jesus, there is no other place I would rather be. Jesus, you have become my desire. He cries out, Lord, I need you. You see, his desire to be dependent on Jesus drastically is different than the first two encounters. And this man who is now healed had experienced enough of Jesus to say, Jesus, you're my only desire. I just want to be with you and sit at your feet. You see, it's not enough just to know who Jesus is or to know of Jesus. It's not enough just to know the stories of the Bible and what Jesus has done. But it's the man or the woman or the child who, at the feet of Jesus, is dependent on him for everything. That is the life that will be peace-filled as you experience what Jesus can do and what only Jesus can do. And that life cries out, Lord, I need you. Every hour of my life, I need you. I'm dependent on you. Yet after being a slave to this possession for so long, it should be strange for us to see this man's response to Jesus. If you know the classic novel by Victor Hugo called La Miserable, the story begins with a man by the name of Jean Valjean, who's been a slave in prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. The story begins, he's given a yellow ticket of freedom by the police inspector Javert. Now imagine being a slave or in prison for 19 years and the moment you are given your ticket of freedom, your desire is not to return or to run free, Your desire is for life to be dependent in the presence of the parole officer. And yet here in this moment, we find a man who's been set free yet desiring to remain with Jesus. Think about the types of people that we have been learning through this series that find themselves at the feet of Jesus. These aren't the people we would have expected to be at the feet of Jesus. And for the Jewish people, the idea of Sitting at the feet of Jesus would have been a very clear image for them as teacher and student. Yet these are not the types of students and people that we would expect to be seated at the feet of this incredible Prince of Peace, Jesus. But I love what one author says, the gathering at Jesus' feet is more than a school of learning. It's a school of salvation. Come, sit, Learn, be changed. I love what John Calvin says about this, drawing us close. Power strikes men with terror, makes them fly from the presence of God and drives them to a distance from him. But goodness draws them gently and makes them feel that nothing is more desirable than to be united with God. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's a glimpse of who God is and what he has done that says, Jesus, I desire to be united with you and you are my greatest desire. Now, well, interestingly, the last part of our story, Jesus does not answer or do for this man what he is asking. He doesn't allow him to be in his presence as his disciple Look at verse 39, what Jesus says. Jesus tells the man to return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Go and declare. despite being commissioned into what was ahead of him, look at what he does. This man is obedient and he went away. And he went away proclaiming and declaring all that God had done in him. This man had peace in his life that enabled him and compelled him to say, Jesus, I will obey. I will go and I will declare everything that God has done in me. And so secondly, the peace-filled life then is marked by declaration. It's marked by dependence and it's marked by declaration. Now what's different in this response from Jesus? A few weeks ago we learned In the story of Jairus and others, how Jesus, after healing them, had told them not to tell anyone. They were to keep silent until a given time. And yet, here in this moment, Jesus is sending this man out. And as some people say, this man was not in Jewish territory. And the Messiah the Jews were waiting for would have been threatened by Jesus, claiming to be the Messiah they were awaiting. Now, what happens here is a Gentile getting commissioned and sent out as the first genuine and authentic witness into Gentile land. Go and declare. This man was sent out as a pre release of the Great Commission. And yet, his willingness to declare is exactly what Paul writes later in Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God. When he challenges people at Jesus' feet to be ready with sandals, the gospel of peace, to go and proclaim all that God has done for you. This man got his clothes back, he got his sanity back, his friends back, his home back, but most importantly, this man's life was peace filled. And that compelled him to go and declare everything that God had done. So here's a question for us. Is my peace-filled life marked by my declaration of God and all that he has done in me? Is my life marked by that? Or maybe on the contrary, if there's an unwillingness to declare what God has done in you, perhaps that is due to the fact that you lack peace in who you are or in who God is. Maybe we're afraid of what people will will think of us or say to us when we declare everything that God has done in us. You see, this man's faith in Jesus is what fueled his life to go and declare. This man's peace in who God was and who he was now healed compelled him to go and declare. And this is where the evidence of peace in our lives translates into everyday life. This is where it gets practical for us because we recognize that peace in our lives gives us the ability to go through circumstance. And I want to maybe help us understand what that might look like here on a slide, the peace-filled life slope. As we grow in faith in Jesus, as we grow in trust in who we are forgiven And who God is as the peace giver and the prince of peace, we will see in our lives peace begin to grow. It will be evident in our lives that it's marked. But on the contrary, the life that lacks faith in Jesus and who he is and who you are is the life then that is marked by fear and peacelessness through circumstance. So let me give us some examples of what that might look like. First example, maybe you're a parent with a child going to high school this fall. Maybe the lack of faith in your life could result in fear for your child's teacher or the curriculum or the friends that they will have or who the culture might turn them into. I encourage you today to press in being dependent at the feet of Jesus. That is where, as your faith grows, you will experience peace in this circumstance. God knows my family. God has my child. God will watch over them amidst my strife. Here's a second example of something that may happen or has happened in your life. Maybe the loss of a job comes. And you're wondering, what do I do now? What's the income for our family? Grow in faith in Jesus Christ. And as you grow in faith, you will see peace marked in your lives as you go through the loss of a job to experience and say, but God is my provider. He provided me for salvation, so how can he not provide for me a job in his own timing and in his own plan? But God is there for me. And here's the third example of maybe what some of us have experienced, maybe a health diagnosis. Be encouraged in here today that as you grow in faith in Jesus, that amidst a health diagnosis, you can say, but I can have peace because I know that God knows my circumstance. I know that temporarily, yes, I live in this world, but I am a citizen of heaven. And I am not bound by this body or what trials come in health to me in this life because I know eternally my citizenship is in heaven and I can't wait to be with my Jesus. Peace will fill your life. And faith and trust in Jesus is what allows us amidst the lot to say, it is well, it is well, it is well. But here's a question for us today, in the peace-filled life maybe that we think we have or that we don't have. Number one, am I dependent? And number two, am I declaring? Am I dependent at Jesus' feet for everything? God, give me peace, let it guard my heart and mind. Jesus, there is nowhere else I would rather be. And number two, am I declaring, God, who would you have in my life that you have placed friend, family, coworker, neighborhood, street, God, who do I need to declare all that you have done for me because I have been filled with the peace to declare Jesus has me. You know, in our story, this man whose life has been changed, he's not that much different than us. He's not that much different than all of us. In God's grace and his mercy, some of you look into the story and you can look back in your life And you remember that amidst the chaos and the hopelessness and the helplessness, you remember that moment when the Prince of Peace met you. And you fell down at his feet and you cried out, Lord, I need you in my life. I give everything to you. You remember that moment. But for some of us here today, we've never started at that place. I want you to hear today an invitation from this man's life in the third encounter, not to be like the demons requesting to be sent away from the presence of God. Not like in the second encounter to think that we are to be asking Jesus to be sent away from our presence, but you are called today to consider and encounter the man whose life was freed and cleansed in the presence of Jesus at his feet. Church, we are called to see Christ for who he is in this passage, for what he can do, for what he has done in you, for what he will do in you, to remain at the feet of Jesus, not to drift, to remain and to be in submission to him, and to like this man cry out, Jesus, there is no other place I would rather be. Let me be with you. And that is the life then that will be changed and transformed, will be peace-filled that is the life that will cry out, Lord, I need you. You are my one defense against evil. You are my righteousness, Jesus. I want to be with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we call to you as the Prince of Peace that you would have, bringing, would have been bringing much peace here today. Perhaps reminding some of us, Lord, that you have bought us, you have freed us, you have healed us, you have cleansed us. And because of faith in you, Jesus, we can now sit at your feet, clothed and in our right minds. But God, I pray as well that you have been bringing peace into the life that had none. To the life that was marked with peacelessness. For that person here today, God, I pray that you have been stirring in them a desire and an understanding. I need to be at the feet of Jesus. I can't control the peacelessness in my life. It is only the Prince of Peace who brings peace in my life that can do that. And so, God, we give to you this time. We submit to you. We say, Lord, I need you in me. I'm dependent on you. Give me peace to declare about you. Receive glory in our lives. God, would this church be marked with the evidence of peace in our dependence and declaration? God, would you teach our songs to rise to you in circumstances of life to say, but God has me and I have peace. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.